All right, good morning again, church. I appreciate what uh, Ben had to say about, you know, the, me being coming up here with logic and thoughtful stuff, but then I also forgot the opening prayer this morning. Did anybody notice that? Jim noticed that. He's like, uh, yeah, I need an opening prayer. So, brother, would you mind leading us in a prayer as we get started this morning? You got it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for the patience and the wisdom that you waited for me on, on opening prayer. But that ties right into what we've been talking about these past few weeks. Um, kind of just been doing, I, I don't know if you'd call it a sermon series or what it is, but it's a chunk of sermons of random things that have been happening in life that are also like, wow, look at those. Those are biblical principles, right? So the very first um, couple of weeks, you know, we talked about preparation and then patience. Patience was one of those ones that, man, only me has to work on. Everybody else has that one figured out, right? And then last week, we talked about wisdom, another one of those ones where we're like, yeah, that's good. Uh, what do, how do I get that? What do I, what do I need to know about wisdom? And so last week, we talked about wisdom. And the main point that I wanted to point out is that in, in Scripture, God points out that there's really two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom of this world, which we see every single day, right? We see wisdom that we, we know in the earth around us. The problem with that wisdom, though, is just like everything else in this world, Satan can manipulate it. He can, he can kind of lead us away from God, but he can also just change things in our life. So both parties can play with worldly wisdom. But what we talked about last week was wisdom out of James, the wisdom that James was talking about, that God kind of wisdom right? The wisdom that surpasses things of this world, but looks ahead to God and to His heaven and to His future. And so that's kind of what we talked about last week, um, not, not pursuing the power status of worldly wisdom, um, but instead being gentle, or gentle, gentle? No. Gentle, merciful, peaceful uh, with our, our heavenly wisdom, more like that God kind of wisdom. So that's kind of what I looked at last week. Hopefully that's been some food for thought for you this week as you went about your normal day. You're like, what, what is wisdom here in this situation? What is the worldly wisdom and what is the godlike wisdom? But I want to talk about another topic that's just kind of come up in my life with this whole life process, I guess you could say. And today's topic, I don't have a PowerPoint for you, so you got to follow along closely, is teamwork. I want to talk about teamwork this morning. And I'll tell you what. Teamwork has been really, really important here for us recently. Buying this house, teamwork has become even more important to us um, than, than some of these other ones, it seems like. Because when you buy a house, it's, you got to have a team behind you. You got to have some teammates to help you. And as I said last week, I had, well, we had Bill for some of our worldly wisdom when we looked at houses, right? Because we didn't have any of that. So he's part of our team. We had to get him on the team right away, right? But Teamwork came from all sorts of people. Um, I mean, Sherry came and helped us paint. Um, 
Dan Bestio laid carpet. Don Hall brought us gravel. Um, The Stevens brought us an air fryer and made us steaks the other night. I mean, that's awesome, right? And my parents and sister are here this weekend, and I wrote this sermon before them, but I even wrote, they did a good job helping us build a retaining wall. Look at that. Spoke it to be, right? All the teammates coming together with teamwork is really important in our, in our day-to-day lives, especially when, like, Courtney and I are buying a house. We need a lot of people to come help us. We need Mike Matthews to come paint the house sometime, right? Because we need all of these teammates. We can't possibly do everything on our own. And we've got expertise from different people. We've got teammates to help us out with where we do have expertise. And so this project that we've taken on, the teammates and the teamwork have meant a whole lot to us. And that's just on one little thing in our life, right? One little thing, our house. The point even with worldly things like working on a house is that teamwork happens. Teammates and teamwork mean a lot. And we appreciate it a lot, right? We have friends that are willing to help us, but even cooler is the fact that those people I just mentioned, the teammates and the teamwork we've been seeing, that's been the church. We've got to see the teamwork of the church coming together, even in a worldly thing like working on our house. And I think that's really cool. And again, we really, really appreciate it. But what made me think about this topic for this week is the idea of teamwork does not just apply to working on a house or to getting a job accomplished or trying to do an event, right? Teamwork is is such a biblical idea. It's not one we came up with in our world, but teamwork is so, so biblical. As Christians, we gather together to worship God. That's our purpose, right? To, To worship God and to praise Him for sending His Son and to become like Him. That's what we do when we gather together as Christians. Jesus coming to earth is why we're here. That's why we have a church. That's why we gather together. But what we do on this earth is not just us alone. It's not just a church of one. We're gathered here almost as if we're a team of Christ followers. We're gathered here as disciples together. You already see teamwork happening while we're all sitting here together. And Jesus did the same exact thing. The reason this church started and the reason churches exist is because of Jesus' ministry, right? We're not Jews anymore. We're Christians. Why is that? Because Jesus came, not only did he die, but while he was here on this earth, he started a team. He started a team in his ministry, right? The ones we think of most prominently are his apostles, are his apostles. He started a team of people that would make a team of people that would make the church, right? Flip with me to Matthew chapter 4. If you would, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV for all of my verses today, so no guessing where I'm at. In the middle or so of Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus gathering his team. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We're going to read four verses together. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, talking about Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. 
Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. All right, four verses from the middle of Matthew chapter 4, beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? One of the first things Jesus does in his ministry, we go from him being baptized to his encounter with, uh, with Satan in the wilderness that we were talking about in Luke just earlier this week. And then the very first thing he does on his ministry walk is he starts to gather a team. He gathers a team, right? And here in chapter 4, we see him uh, first calling two guys out of the boat. Calls two guys and say, hey, you're fishermen. You're going to be fishers of men. He flips that around on them, right? And then they, you know, he gets them and then they get two more fishermen. So we've got a team forming now of four fishermen at this point. Four fishermen and the Son of God to do an earthly ministry with Jesus. So he calls them out of their boats. They leave their father. They leave their nets. They leave their entire livelihood. Think about this. This isn't just a job. You know, they didn't just quit and say, ah, two weeks notice, whatever. No, this is their entire lives. This is their family, their entire fortune in their life. They just dropped the nets that they were fixing. They left their father. They got out of the boat and followed some guy that just said, come with me. Wow. But Jesus was forming a team. He was getting some teammates. And he didn't just stop there. You know, we got four already, right? But he had 12 apostles um, by, by the time he gets full into swinging his ministry, right? And we kind of, we read about them in Matthew chapter 10. So if you want to just flip a few chapters here, just so you know all of the uh, apostles we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 10 in the first four verses, <clears throat> he talks about the 12. Matthew 10 verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are, are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. We just read about them, right? Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the Iscariot. Who betrayed him. Verse 5 says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them to go. Just pause there, we'll stop there. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them to go. The first things Jesus does in his ministry is he creates a team. He builds a team, he gets his twelve disciples together. And we see the list here, we see the four fishermen, and then it goes on to, to list the rest of the names. But we kind of get a glimpse of Jesus' team here, don't we? Just a little glimpse. We don't know everything about all of them. But we know that some of them were fishermen who just left their fathers in their boats. But one other thing we see is, we also have in here Matthew, the tax collector. Judas, the Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this wasn't just fishermen. It wasn't just a carpenter and some fishermen as a team. We have a whole bunch of different guys from a bunch of different walks of life, don't we? It's interesting that tax collector is the one mentioned here in this Matthew chapter 10 verse. Tax collector would not be a highly praised job, to say the least, right? Still isn't a highly praised job in our culture. But in their culture, it was basically the person that would ruin you if they decided to. I mean, 
in our culture, you could go to jail, but it's not really based on if somebody decides to. Here in their culture, if somebody decided to ruin you, you'd be done. That would be the tax collector. So even Matthew, tax collector, is listed here. Judas, Judas, who we know will betray him, and some fishermen and some carpenters, or Jesus the carpenter, we have kind of this group of a bunch of different people, don't we? The team is assembled from all different walks of life, different people coming together, all with one purpose. Just like I said, the church is kind of a whole bunch of people coming together with one purpose. And Jesus takes that uniqueness, those different walks of life, and he needed it for who they were and made his team. He formed a team. This is the team for Jesus. And it didn't just stop there at the 12 apostles. Have you ever thought about that? Those are the people that we talk about all the time who were Jesus' teammates because they walked around with him and followed him everywhere he went, right? But think about the other teammates that start getting added to this. Something we neglect a lot, but we, when we were at the Stevens on Tuesday, we were reading them in Luke, I think chapter 4 or 5, about some of the women that followed along with this, right? Mary Magdalene, um, Mary followed these guys and they followed Jesus just as close as the apostles, right? So there's the start of even the team growing more and more. And the team doesn't just stop at the apostles and their friends and the people that get caught along with them. The team continues to grow and grow and grow and that's what becomes the church, right? Actually, the apostles were called to do that. They were called to go preach the word and spread it to the edges of the earth. So when you teach it to other people, you grow the team. You grow the team even larger and larger. And by the time we get to the book of Acts, we're well into the gospel, right? And the team is growing. The team is now not just the disciples and Jesus. Now it's growing to be what we call the church. We would still say we're part of that team as well. Some people refer to the modern-day church as Acts chapter 29, right? We're just continuing the, this story of the church. So we're the team of Jesus as well. <clears throat> the team is growing by the time Acts comes along. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, I invite you to open up there, we see the example of teamwork even more. Acts chapter 6 is pretty interesting to me because this is the church, this is us. And they're just getting started trying to figure everything out. And they actually have to decide in the team who's going to do what. What teammates are going to do what jobs? So Acts chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read the first seven verses. Now in these days, the disciples were increasing by number. Let's pause there for a second. Basically, the team's getting bigger, right? Now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve at the table. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of Holy Spirit, and Philip, and oh, Prochorus, and Nechicor, and Timon, and Paramus, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. And they set them before the apostles. 
And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I only read seven verses. There's a whole lot we could talk about there, but we're talking about teamwork, teammates, right? So the very first verse of chapter 6 here in Acts says, the team was growing. The team was growing so much that actually there was complaints happening within the body already. Well, who would have thought? So what was happening was that some of the widows of a different culture were getting missed when they were supposed to be being provided for. So what do the apostles do? Well, they say, we got all these disciples. We're all a team. Let's pick part of the team to take care of this. And so this is the first time we ever have an example of, you know, basically servants being selected. Deacons, if you want a churchy word, right? Made some deacons. They made some servants to take care of feeding the widows. And the apostles said, we're going to stick to preaching and teaching. You guys take care of this. And so the teammates started to do the team work. The teamwork started working together. Each of them started to find their jobs. And it went from Jesus to the apostles, to the church, to the church doing the work. You see how this is all just growing here in Acts? The team, Team Jesus, has formed and expanded. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. And I'd say we see that to this very day. We have servants in our church, and sometimes we kind of appoint certain servants to do certain things, right? Do you know who makes the communion every Sunday? Well, there's a certain servant that does that, right? And I don't have to do that because I do this piece and somebody else does that piece and somebody else does the table and I forget Jim's opening prayer and we all do different things, right? That's the teamwork of the teammates working together. (sighs) Jesus is working on his team to broaden the church. So teamwork, is it a biblical principle or is it just something we came up with? I think it's a biblical principle. I think it's all throughout Scripture, this idea of teammates have been there, and our greatest example is Jesus. He started his team, and the team just extended and kept growing and growing to the church today. Absolutely, I think it's in the Bible. Jesus' disciples in the church in Acts, and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, we read about this a few weeks ago, how we're all going to be different. We all have different parts of the body. We all have different roles. That's talking about teamwork as well. All of this is just talking about teamwork. I think it's woven all throughout the New Testament for sure. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 28 that we all should have one mission, right? He says you're all a team, but in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is one of our favorite verses, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So teamwork's all throughout the Bible, but yet Jesus says this. What's he saying? Well, he's saying, you're a team with a common goal. You're a team with a common goal. And guess what? Verse 19, Matthew 28, verse 19 doesn't say, preachers and elders go therefore and make disciples of all nations. No. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's saying this not only to the apostles who he's talking to right then, he's saying this to the church. He's saying this to the Christ followers for years and years to come. That's why we love this scripture so much. It's our call. 
It's our call to go and tell other people about the gospel. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Basically, teach them the word of God. Tell them about Jesus. He wasn't just saying this to the disciples. He was saying this to his entire team. So yeah, I think teammates and teamwork is in the Bible. Go make disciples of all nations. That sounds like some teamwork, if you ask me. So how do we practice good teamwork? If we're trying to practice better patience and better wisdom, we should practice better teamwork too, right? How do we do that? Well, that's again, just tricky, like patience and wisdom. I I don't expect me or anyone else to walk out of this room and be the perfect teammate. It's tough. But I think we have a good example. See, Jesus was the example of forming a team He might also be, I think, a good example of how to be good teamwork, teammates together, how we might teamwork together. So if you would, open your Bible. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10. This is the last big scripture I'll take you guys to today. Go to Luke chapter 10, and what's happening here in Luke chapter 10 is Jesus is sending out 72 workers, right? 72 workers for the harvest is how it's written here. Sending out teamwork. 72 workers, and this could be an effective ministry. That was the whole point, right? So tie that to our great commission for the church. We're more than 72, all the church together. But Jesus is sending out 72 specifically. And let's just see what we can pull out of what Jesus is doing here in chapter 10 of Luke and how we can apply that to our lives. So I'm going to read. You Feel free and follow along or just write this down and listen. I'm going to read 24 verses. We're not going to talk about all of it, but I'm going to read the first half of chapter 10, all right? Luke 10, 1. Keep going here. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and every place where he himself was about to go. So he's sending them out, right, before he comes there to do ministry work. Verse 2, he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And it will remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they did not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet and wipe it off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than its own town. Woe to you, Chorazon, war to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sion than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. 
The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice with the names that are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father Lord of heaven and earth, for that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and everyone whom the Son chooses to reveal it to. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. A lot of scripture there, but I wanted to give you kind of the whole story of Jesus sending out the 72, right? We followed it the whole way. Jesus sent out 72 workers ahead of him, two by two, into different towns before he went there, right? What were they to do? Well, they were to prepare the way for the harvest. It's a fun way of saying that, but they were to prepare the way in each town for Jesus to come. What were they to do when they arrived? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in here a second, but they were to go in and be received or not received and leave, right? And they went out, and their review when they came back was, Jesus, it was good. Even the demons were scared of us. It was like we were you, right? And Jesus said, yeah, you had that power. He said to his disciples, you have seen, you have heard, you've heard this good news, this gospel. Share it, right? So what can we take? How can we take teamwork for us out of this? Well, what did Jesus point out to these people? How did it work well for them? I'm sorry, that's... Hmm. Oh, you just get to see the time. Kyler, can you go click my laptop? You can even shut the TV off. All right. So what did he say? How can we work as a team? Well, in verse 4, he said something really interesting, and I think this is kind of a good tip for teamwork. So here's a couple tips for teamwork. Verse 4, he said, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. That's a random weird verse, right? Why, why did Jesus say that when he's talking about teamwork? He's sending out 72, and he says, don't take anything with you. Good? Oh. All right. Why does he say that? That's so weird. Why does he say not to take anything with you? Well, when it comes to teamwork, Jesus is saying something really important here. He's saying, it's not about you. He's not saying, you know, the most important thing in the whole world is that you don't have a backpack. The most important thing in the whole world is that you don't say hi to people on the road. No, what he's saying is, it's not about you. It's about the team. You contribute to the team. See this, the list of things here in verse 4? Money bag, knapsack, sandals, greeting one another on the road. Those things are all about me. Those things are all about me. But what's more important is that you're not working for yourself anymore. 
You're working for the team as a whole. So teamwork. First key to teamwork is actually be a team player. Don't worry about yourself, right? In Philippians 2.3, Paul would say, similarly, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Talking about teamwork yet again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. So what should we do? Well, stop being selfish. Start worrying about the team instead of worrying about ourselves. What's another tip for teamwork that we can see Jesus doing here with the 72? Well, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say it, say to it, Peace be to this house. Verse 6, And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. All right, this is a little bible What in the world is Jesus trying to say here? You're not supposed to be worried about yourself. You're supposed to be worried about the team, verses 5 and 6. What should you do? Well, you should identify your teammates. Kind of a weird way to say it. You walk into a house and you say, peace be with you. And if they are also peaceful, they will say peace to you, right? Sounds very, like, Catholic-y. But what's the point of that? Well, the point of that is you identify your teammates. You say, hey, is there any other Christians here? And if there is you can cast your work onto them as well. Say, hey, we're teammates. Let's work on this together. But if there's no other teammate there, no one says peace to you back, you just take your burden and you keep on going, right? So you spread and you use your teammates to work together. Look for and rely on your teammates. Nothing wrong with that. That's what Jesus is saying to do. What else? What's another tip from Jesus on sending out teamwork? Well, verses 7 and 8. Jesus continues on talking about teams and teamwork. And he reminds us here in verses 7 and 8 that this is not out of selfish ambition, but it's, again, for the whole, the good of the team. So we need to be content in our circumstance. Let me read verse 7 and 8 again. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, Eat what is set before you. You know what I see Jesus saying in teamwork here? One that's actually kind of convicting to me. Be content with your place on the team. Be content with your place on the team. Whenever you enter a town, you enter a house, that's where you're supposed to be. Be happy there. Eat the food they set out before you. That's what Jesus said, right? Practice contentment with your role on the team. Don't just move on to the next town because you want to. Instead, practice your role where you're meant to be. Man, is this not a tough one? This is part of the patience we were talking about a few weeks ago. Contentment and patience, they work right in hand, don't they? Don't try and outsmart what your role in the team is because you want to do something different. That's tough. That is really, really tough. So verses 7 and 8, another tip for teamwork from Jesus. Well, don't try and not be content. Try and focus contentment. Even when your team is struggling, even when you feel like it's an awkward place to be, don't give up on your team. Don't move on to the next town. Don't try and outsmart the rest of your teammates and definitely don't leave them, right? One of my favorite quotes from the movie Fireproof, it's kind of getting old now, all right? It's talking about marriage, though. And the funny fireman guy, he takes and he glues the salt and pepper together. 
And the guy's like, what are you doing? Don't glue the salt and pepper together. And he takes them, and he's going to rip them apart. And he said, whoa, don't rip them apart. You rip them apart right now, you're going to break one or both of them. He's talking about marriage. Once you put a marriage together, you can't rip it apart. You're going to break one or both of them. But is that not just an example of teammates? Maybe one of the greatest examples of teammates? See, that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 7, 8, chapter 10 of Luke. Teammates stick together. Teammates don't move on to the next town when they're called to be here. Don't leave your teammates. The last piece of teamwork I want to point out from Jesus, his tips from sending out the 72 is in verses 9 through 15. And you can read that on your own again. Again, we read a lot of scripture here, but Jesus reminds them what the point of all this is. Just like Matthew 28, the point is to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what an effective team does. He's saying you need to go out to the soil and make it ready for harvest. Not just go out there and do nothing, but instead go out there and proclaim the kingdom of God. Live out Matthew 28 in our lives. Share the gospel. Seems so simple when I say it, but man, when I try and live my life, it's even harder. We talked about it in Bible class this morning. We, we have a circle of things we do and people we see, and sometimes that might mean proclaiming the gospel in Walmart. I don't know how to do that. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing yet. But that's my field. That's my soil sometimes, right? So again, the last idea Jesus has for teamwork is be focused. Be focused on what the goal of the team is. It's our opportunity to share our lives with people as Christians. That's what our role is as a teammate. So teamwork, teammates, are they important? Absolutely. I think it's scriptural that teamwork is a part of our lives. In this world we live in, teamwork should be normal. So shouldn't it be normal in our Christian lives as well? It should be more than just moving and working on our house. It should be, man, this is the church. We're a team. We're working together. That should be integrated throughout our spiritual life as well. Jesus had the example of teammates. First thing he did in ministry after being baptized, right? He struggled with Satan, and then he went and got some teammates. I think it's a great example that it continues on and on. That's what the church is today. From the apostles to the disciples to Acts to the Acts 29 church today. But when we're, when we're a team and we're working together, we need to make sure we're not selfish. We need to find our teammates and work with them and teammates and share everywhere we go the gospel. That's how teammates and teamwork will be effective. So church, it's my prayer that we work together to become better teammates. It's my prayer that we can work on teamwork because I don't think any, any of us have perfected it. Raise your hand if you perfected it. No. I don't think any church has perfected it. Churches can't raise their hand collectively, but I don't think anyone across the world has perfected teamwork. So what should we do? Well, we should work to be better at teamwork because Jesus thought it was pretty important. He started a team right from the get-go, and we're still a part of that team. So we can confidently walk out and say, Team Jesus. Thank you, guys. I'll get your PowerPoint up there in a second.
back inconvenient when you stand as we sing.